God is like the sun. You cannot always look at it, but without it, you cannot look at anything else. The way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Staring into the Sun. Here we are, two brothers who attempt to take a look at the deeper truths that can be found through the beautiful collision of head and heart. Now, you'll notice today that we're not two brothers. We're just actually one today. Uh, The pastor of the duo, my brother John, is out on sabbatical. He's uh, taking a break from his work to dive into his own personal spiritual growth and to see what fruit uh, can be found there after that work. And so it's just me today. And so you're just going to hear from from the psychologist today and want to engage with a topic with you today about mistakes and failures. Um, I've got a, um, a bit of writing that I'm trying to work through, and I'm, I'm going to draw from that, do some reading from it, and talk about this issue of how we approach our mistakes. Now, this one's kind of personal to me um, because uh, I am a recovering perfectionist. And uh, as I was a developing kid, I, I relentlessly sought the elimination of all mistakes. Um, and I can't think of a better example than in my effort um, to be ac- absolutely perfect as a piano player. So I grew up playing the piano. Um, it was uh, um, uh, it was a privilege that I had to be able to study and learn music. And um, my brain, my perfectionism, like just just dove into pursuing absolute perfection when I would play. And so as I developed as a, as a pianist, uh, there were opportunities for me to uh, play what I had learned for other people. And I would have these experiences where I would, I would have this increasing desire to not only be perfect as I played for myself, but when I performed, I wanted to play every note and every aspect of the dynamics and the feel of the music as per- close to perfect as possible. And so I made my target perfection. And so interestingly enough, I was always miserable after I performed <laughs> because, of course, nothing in, can be completely perfect. And so I would end up being completely miserable because I would hone in on the aspects that I missed or messed up. And I would feel terrible, which would then drive me to, to try to get better. And it also caused this other interesting thing that actually made me perform even worse is that I would practice for hours and hours and hours. And interestingly, as I would do that, what I now know would happen in my brain is that the the motor capacity to remember sequences of keys and where my hands go would move from conscious motor activity where I would deliberately think about where my hands would be placed as I see notes. Over time, as I would practice, my body and my brain would transition this to unconscious motor activity, completely different part of the brain that helps you do something without thinking. It's responsible for how we get into flow states. It helps us, for example, when you drive so that you don't have to think about where your foot goes and how much pressure you put on. It just comes automatically, which can free up your brain to attend to other things right? We are a very expensive machine to run. And so we are adapted to automate things so that we can use the energy we have towards solving problems that require our conscious attention. Well, so this would be happening as I would be practicing hours and hours and hours, and it would transition to unconscious motor memory. Well, what would happen with my perfectionism is I would then, as I would approach performing, I would start to think about the areas of the piece 
that I would struggle on, that I would maybe every once in a while mess up. And in my mind, as I was preparing to play, I would think through where would my fingers need to go during that part? And I would think, oh man, I hope that I don't mess up there. And inevitably what that would happen is I would get anxious. And as I was playing and as I got closer and closer to that part, I would think, oh, I forget exactly how to play it. And I would get to that spot and I would get completely stuck. And I would freeze and I would feel awful because here I was performing, people were listening and I was stuck. And so then I would just skip parts and randomly try to get to the next thing that I could do and it would sound bad and it would actually be observably bad. So interestingly... The feedback that I would get when I would play, and I would mess up a few things, but generally it was pretty good, people would give me glowing feedback. Like, that was incredible. That was wonderful. And I remember thinking when I would hear that, are you kidding me? You couldn't hear the glaring mistakes that were obvious failures that made it awful? And as I got older, I began to understand, wait a minute, they're on to something. The way that I'm responding to my mistakes actually serves to make my music worse because then the latter case would happen where I would get stuck and it would be noticeable to everybody. And I thought, man, there's something here. I'm honing in too finely on details because it's my craft and I study it. And I'm, and I'm missing the broader picture that I'm presenting to people, which is lovely music. And I had got caught, caught up in believing that lovely music is perfect music. And that's just not the case. Any music that you listen to, especially performance-based music, includes errors and mistakes. And every musician will tell you this, that pretty much always there's something that could have been better. And actually, that's what makes all the difference. Um, because a robot can, can play the music automatically and perfectly on the piano. But we also could tell the difference because we humans incorporate an understanding of what authentic human-based music is. And it's free-flowing and it's creative and it has the possibility of mistake, which then contrasts to wonderful performance compared to it. And we feel the beauty of music that has to include mistakes. And so as I've learned and grown and thought about this more and more, I realized several things that are important here. Number one is that mistakes are not failures, okay? Mistakes are not failures. How we respond to our mistakes determines the trajectory of failure. The other thing that stands out to me in that is that we also, to, to create something really good or beautiful, we have to have, it helps to have a good understanding of how our brains work. Because if we do that, we can actually perform even better. I see this in sports. I see it in any type of performance category. When, when we get into a, an anxious state, we pay more attention to our actions. And when those actions were actually firmly practiced and rooted in unconscious motor pathways – and we try to slip them into conscious ones, we struggle a lot. This is why you can see a professional baseball player struggle to throw the ball to first base, right? Who can, you know, with, you know, with incredible accuracy throw 97 miles per hour to a catcher's mitt with precision accuracy, 99 times out of 100, but then can't turn and throw it to first base in any general area. It's this type of process. 
And that's why I think this concept is so important in understanding our mind, understanding our bodies, and understanding how we pursue being better. And that is that mistakes are not failures. Okay? So I'm going to start reading through this, and I'm going to riff off of it as I read through what I've written here and uh, try to try to make this clear and dive into this more. So here's what I say. Throughout my practice, I frequently come across a persistently pernicious idea. Mistakes are failures. This idea nestles in our minds for an important reason. Our brains are adapted to learn from the environment. When we come across painful experiences, our brain alerts us quickly and marshals our thoughts, our feelings, our bodies to make the pain stop. As a result, we are particularly vulnerable to failure and for a good reason. If a particular strategy we are employing is not ultimately going to work, we must be alerted to it. And we are often alerted to it by demoralization, despair, These feelings drive us to give up. And this works wonderfully when we are actually right, that the strategy we are pursuing is doomed to fail. These feelings cause us to stop wasting our efforts, communicate our needs to others, and get help. The example I think of most practically is I'm standing in the middle of the street and I observe that a bus is coming towards me. Now, my body responds to that, escalates tension, feels fear. Everything in my body is marshaled to remove the potential for pain. And in that moment, the pain isn't the bus hitting me. The pain is terror that the bus will hit me. That is incredibly unpleasant and painful. And so everything is marshaled to make that stop. And then we jump out of the way. And then from the safety of the sidewalk, we can then look and see, oh, okay, that bus was going to hit me. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm okay. Or we might see, oh goodness, I'm ridiculous. I can't believe I did that. It wasn't even moving. And we can feel ashamed, but at least we're alive. Now in that case, that strategy works really well, okay? And that would not be a mistake because the mistake would be the bus is hitting me. But then we take that one step further and think if you're in a situation where you're trying a strategy to get out of the way of the perhaps metaphorical bus, say it's in a relationship you're having, and you can see this thing coming where there's this major conflict that's brewing between you and someone you're close to, and the strategy you've been employing just ends up in resulting in ongoing tension and conflict and pain. The natural response to that is to be alerted to it and say, wait a minute, this isn't working and we'll feel demoralized, despairing. It will drive us to give up our strategy. Maybe in that case, our strategy is to persistently defend ourselves and explain why we didn't actually make a mistake and why what we actually did was we intended to do something well and you know, and, and we defend ourselves. And maybe we're finding that persistent, persistent defense of ourselves is not working because all we see is the other person across from us getting increasingly upset. And so our emotions are there to tell us, give up that strategy. It's not working. With the hopes of finding a different strategy that would result in resolution of the conflict. Okay. Now I'm moving on here as I read. Unfortunately, This way of thinking that a mistake is a failure tends to spread out too far. We very often underestimate our capacity. I'm going to say that again because this is really important. 
we very often underestimate our capacity. Now, again, we do this for an important reason, and the reason is rooted in our very old brains. Our brains are adapted to particular types of threats, say being chased after a wild animal. If you improperly estimate your capacity, you could very quickly end up dead. We continue to utilize brains adapted to very old problems. When it's applied to new problems, the process can become problematic. Now let's take a more modern example here. Consider a very common problem. You are beginning to try something new and get stuck. A math problem, a musical instrument, a physical activity or exercise, a new eating plan. Because this activity is new to you, you will of course have limited capacity. However, you will also be prone to underestimating your capacity. As a result, when you encounter a mistake, you may instead label it a failure. Your body will respond to this attribution with despair or demoralization, even if it's just subtle at first, like discouragement, and you will feel an urge to give up. If you do give up, you'll feel relief, which then tells your brain you were correct. What follows is that you are less competent and a result less confident so that when you encounter a new activity again, you may be subtly less likely to have the courage to persist. Accumulate this over time and the idea in your mind can transition from I'm failing to I am a failure. Believing you are fundamentally a failure often corresponds with the experience of depression. If... However, you are empowered with knowledge about how your mind and body respond to mistakes. You can opt for a different path, the path of competence. Wisdom would tell you that when starting any new activity, you are bound to make mistakes. You know, this is interesting. Often we, we kind of lose our minds as adults. You know, when we approach children, we get this concept you know, you, you observe a child struggling to, to walk, to ride a bike. Often when we observe that, we have a general sense, oh, this is new to the person. They're going to struggle. Struggle is a part of it and not a failure. And if someone approaches the kid learning how to ride a bike and upon their first mistake, yells at him and says, quit trying it, you idiot. You, you're terrible. You might as well not even do it. That child will internalize that, will be demoralized, will give up. Excuse me. Now, if someone comes up to that child and says, hey, it's okay, that's normal, this is part of the process, get back up on the bike, you'll figure it out, what the child then learns is that mistakes aren't failures, they're fundamentally a part of learning competence. So, wisdom would tell us that when starting a new activity, we're bound to make mistakes. So we do this with children. However, as children get older and as we ourselves mature, we stop treating ourselves this way. We begin to have this belief that when we approach problems, we should be able to be competent at it immediately. And we then compare ourselves to other people who apparently are competent at things very quickly as well. And we further entrench the idea that, man, I'm just a failure. I just, I just am terrible. I can't do this. And what's really true is that we are flawed humans and developing humans. And there's a lot of things that we have never encountered before. And it makes complete sense that we would struggle and make mistakes. Even if it's something we feel like we should know already, the reality is, is if we don't, then the process will require mistakes. 
So, I'm reading further. Take, for instance, the young child learning to ride a bike, as I mentioned before. When she makes her first attempt and makes a mistake, the proper response is not to say to her, you're a failure, you may as well quit now. That would be a disaster, obviously. No, the loving response would be to say, it's okay, you're learning, you can do it, keep going. As she keeps going, the child slowly develops the biological foundations for feelings of confidence that are rooted in developing motor capabilities of coordinating hands and feet and core muscles and balance and eye coordination. Over time, they're, they're putting those together. Now, all of this then gathers into a building idea. I can do this. She learns she can do it by observing herself doing it. And that is competence. This competence comes with a surge of positive feeling, pride, and confidence. You know, this reminds me of one of, the f- one of my favorite scenes in the Harry Potter books and films. I don't want to do a spoiler, but I would highly recommend you read them and watch them. But there's the scene in the, in the third book, um, The Prisoner of Azkaban, where uh, Harry, the, the main character, and his, his friends Hermione and Ron, they, they had just come out of an experience where Harry has been um, – and, and his only loved one, Sirius Black, that is his only remaining connection to his family – is uh, basically had his soul sucked out of him by a Dementor and he watched as it happened and he couldn't do anything about it. And this creature is devouring the soul of his only loved one left. And then in the distance, he sees some figure coming in on a flying horse and creates a spell that uh, sends light flowing out and creates a barrier between this Dementor and his only loved one and his soul falls back down and through his mouth into his body and he takes a breath <gasps> and Harry is so relieved but the problem in the in the book is is that things don't end so well after that and so through the wise guidance of of uh, not Gandalf that's Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> through through the wise guidance of Professor Dumbledore another sage they use a time turner to go back in time and do some things differently And so then, again, Harry finds himself at this same position. And previously, he thought it was like the spirit of his dead father coming to save his uncle. And and he's sitting there on the beach as this is all happening, and he's watching, and he's waiting, waiting for his the, the spirit of his dead father to come and save his uncle. And he's waiting, and he's waiting. And then he keeps getting this urge, I've got to do something. And then sure enough, just as the, at the last moment, Harry himself creates this spell that he has never been able to accomplish before. And in this moment, he does it and it all comes together and he saves his uncle. And there's this quote afterwards where they're celebrating the success. And Harry's friend Hermione asked him, how did you do that? And Harry says, I knew I could do it because I had already done it. And to me, that is so powerful and is foundational to us and our own personal transformation and growth is that believing that we have the capable, the capability of doing something, believing that we can drives us 
to continue showing up, to continue trying, to continue pursuing development so that at some point we're able to put it together and we can do it. We can do it because we knew we could. That's why I say this. She gathers this building idea. I can do this. She learns she can do it by observing herself doing it. And that is competence. And then what comes with this competence is positive feeling, pride, and confidence. Now, I will give a caveat here. We can't do everything. There, there are things that um, we cannot do just by virtue of uh, time, energy, capability, intelligence, a variety of factors, external, internal, all of them. And, and, and we do, as I mentioned before, our body operates in situations where there, there are things that we simply can't do. For example, if I'm out in the wilderness and I'm approached by a bear, I cannot uh, overcome this bear, right, with my own bare hands. I don't have training. I don't have the capability. I don't have the weapons. So the proper response is to acknowledge I cannot do this and I find another way out right? So when we're right, it's so important to view mistakes as, as potential failures. However, there's so many situations where we underestimate our capacity that we can turn mistakes into successes and into adaptation. Moving on to read the end of the essay. When we interpret our mistakes as failures, we become demoralized and quit which results in a decreasing amount of capacity and competence, which makes future mistakes increasingly likely, which you will then interpret as failures and on and on, a negative feedback loop. It's like putting a microphone next to a speaker and it just pings back and forth, further escalating the negative noise. Instead, mistakes are opportunities for adaptation. This adaptation then fosters competence and capacity, which then cycles around to foster courage when facing future potential failure, a positive feedback loop. So when you encounter the mistakes are failures way of thinking, consider gently turning your thought to something like, that was this mistake and that's okay. I got to keep going. Persist, observe your mistakes make modifications, then try again. Because mistakes aren't failures. Failing to continue to try in the presence of the potential capacity that you have to succeed, that is the true failure. Mistakes are really opportunities for adaptation. And I would encourage you to, to take that with you, um, to consider identifying ways in which your mind identifies mistakes and drives you to see them as failures, to see yourself as a failure, and pushes you to a place of despair, of demoralization, of depression, of hopelessness, and leads to your life further closing in. Try to identify when you notice this way of thinking. I remember mine. I would usually tell myself, man, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. That was horrible. You, you were terrible. And then I would learn to observe, you know what? It actually, other people are giving me fact, feedback that it wasn't actually all that bad. And maybe actually what success is different than how I see it. Maybe success is showing up. Maybe success is trying, persisting, working on getting better. 
So watch for these ways of thinking. And then check the facts, right? Is this true? Would this, a mistake here be a failure? And if it's true, that's okay to view it that way because there are times when we cannot adapt and we have to find some other way. We have to get away. We have to avoid. We have to get support. We have to do something else like the bus and me. You know, if a bus is coming at me, it's either me or the bus and mistake is a failure. However, there's lots of situations where we call failure too early and we underestimate our capacity in ourselves and the people around us. And so watch for this way of thinking and ask yourself, wait a minute, is that true? Wait a minute. If I was a good coach to me, what would I say? Would I say, you know what? Yep, you're right. Wasn't your best work. Or yep, you, you made a mistake there, but that's okay. Keep going. You're getting better. You can get better. Try approaching yourself that way more gently, persisting, observing your mistakes, make modifications, then try again. Because you may find that in that space is adaptation and you getting better, more capable, more competent. And that is a good thing. And that's good for you and it's good for the people around you. Well, that's all I've got for us today. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you taking time to hear just from me. Um, our thoughts and uh, prayers are with my brother as um, as he continues to uh, pursue his own growth there. And um, also would just encourage you as, as you've listened to, you know, continue to check us out. Follow us on, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, subscribe to us on your podcasting app. Give us some feedback. Our email address listed at, you know, at the bottom of, of our, uh, our, uh, the show notes here. Uh, happy to hear from you as far as topics to cover, questions you have, things you want us to engage with. Uh, would, would, would be grateful to hear from you as, I, as we continue to make content that's hopefully useful to you. So I would encourage you to do that. Check it out. Share it with other people. And uh, come back again next time as uh, we, as I, until John comes back, continue staring into the sun. The way we find ourselves... 